Hi, Thomas, uh, or uh, Tom, or how is it pronounced right? Uh, I'm Polish, so it's actually Tomasz, but Thomas is fine. So okay, Tomasz. Mm -hmm. Hi, Tomasz. Um, what was your first computer? As far as I remember, or honestly, I, I do remember quite well, it was 486 with 8 megabytes of RAM. I actually started quite late. It was 1997. And uh, first of all, I was doing some gaming, but then I quickly realized that there are these files called BAT, which were uh, DOS scripts. And that's how my story with computer programming started with, uh, yeah, that's basically it. Uh, so 486, 8 megabytes of RAM and 324 megabytes of hard drive. I, I, I have no idea how I remember it, but somehow you have this this feeling to your first computer. Yeah. And, and why you got it? Uh, as always, I was a child, so uh, parents thought that I would be using it for uh, learning or something, but still I quickly discovered computer gaming. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, programming was the thing. So uh, the, the, first there was a computer uh, with, with some gaming, and then I started, uh, I don't know if you remember, there was this computer programming language for children called Logo, yes. or tur tur Turtle Graphics, and, and I love it. I, I was like totally blown away how, how easily you can do some graphics, to the point that actually my master's thesis was re-implementation of the language, so I built the compiler from scratch. Uh, for the for the logo language, so that was that was a pretty cool experience. This is actually amazing. So, um, first, what interests me? What was your favorite game back then? Uh, yes. Actually, it was Settlers One and Two, which I believe is a German game, and uh, it was kind of going the steep downhill with more uh, with uh, subsequent versions. But Settlers One and Two was kind of the, the the pinnacle of what they did. So it's a real time strategy with a strong emphasis on economy. Uh, I, I honestly loved uh, like building these uh, these 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 settlers uh, cities and uh, conquering the other countries. So that was amazing. Oh, and how how old were you as you got your first computer? Uh, Nineteen ninety-seven. So how was it? Twelve. I was twelve, around twelve. Yeah. Okay. So it was amazing. So and 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 the shooter games. You were not into shooting with twelve. Oh, I were. So I remember it was Wolfenstein 3D. Yeah. And yeah, that's pretty much it. So Wolfenstein 3D, then long, 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 long nothing, and then Half-Life, which I kind of rediscovered 10 years after it was published. So that's ah, pretty okay. much it. I'm not really into gaming these days. There are maybe just a handful of games I actually enjoy playing, uh, but there are a few that I always come back with uh, a lot of emotions. So uh, Very good. So do you not like an old prodigy child? Who just likes you know to play strategy game and and and, and hates you know sh uh, shooter games or you actually played everything and uh, you like Siedler, right? No, oh, come on, it was 486, so everything that could run on this computer was yeah. fine. So cool. it just so happened that I ha I happened to have these two games. I, I somehow managed to convince my mother to buy me Settlers 2. Cool. Uh, there was no there was there were no online shops, so we had to buy it by a phone. That was really really weird times. Where was it in Poland? Uh, I used to live in a small town in Poland, uh, like two hours from Warsaw. Now I live in Warsaw. Oh. Uh, so the only way to like buy a game was to order it via phone. Okay. Uh, so that that was interesting. But nevertheless, I, uh, I managed to get a computer and um, uh, playing the Settlers game. It actually took me quite some time. I, I think I had to expand uh, the amount of memory the computer had because it wasn't uh, it wasn't capable of running all the maps 
was really strange because when you were picking a map where, where you want to run it, uh, which you want to run, and it was actually saying that you don't have enough RAM to load this particular one. Uh, there were some tricks like do not load all the assets, and then you maybe had a uh, had a way to run it. So uh, that was really cool. Okay. I'm, I'm asking ab ab about uh, where are you from? Because uh, once I had a conference in Gdansk, Danzig, and uh, mm -hmm. there was a fog, so the airplane uh, uh, went back to Poznan, Posen. And then yep. I went by car from Posen to Danzig, and then the back was the same story. So I rent a car and went from Danzig to Warsaw through half of, of Poland. Uh, so um, Quite far away. Yeah, uh, but uh, it was actually a nice trip. But uh, yeah, it was an amazing story, actually. But um, yeah, so sometimes on the way, uh, could I meet you in your town, or was it completely different direction and uh, no it's more like eastern poland so oh, eastern, it wasn't okay. far away but it's more like eastern poland cool yeah. actually i think i've been to the same conference was it infoshare in gdansk exactly it was the infoshare. Yeah, so i think we've been to the same conference i was also giving a talk there uh-huh uh all right cool so uh about the batch files how quickly you discovered the batch files uh, so uh, i actually discovered it by accident because i deleted auto exec bat for <laughs> those of you who uh, who are like um, uh, not that old, and it was basically a startup script on DOS systems. Mm -hmm. So it was a DOS computer with Windows 3.11. Windows 3.11 wasn't even a a genuine operating system. It was just like a uh, um, like a layer on top of DOS. It mm -hmm. wasn't actually an operating system. I think Windows 95 was the first real operating system made by Microsoft. Uh, so DOS 6.22, as far as I remember, uh, had the startup script called auto-exec, automatically execute, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, but, and I deleted it, and the computer won't start up, so I quickly kind of tried to learn what is this file, what's the purpose of it, so I had to, well, there is no Google, so the only thing I, I could do was asking friends at my primary school, uh, so... Just by fixing, I had to like discover what's the bat file and what's the purpose of it. That I actually I can actually put several DOS commands in a single file, and it actually has a notion of uh, if statements, which were really clumsy, but still. And uh, so that was actually my first encounter with programming, and that's kind of weird, but that that's how it went. And, and you, then uh, there was Turbo Pascal. And you enjoyed that? Uh, Your experience with the auto batch, auto execution. Uh, uh, I enjoyed it to the point that uh, I, I figured that I can run several commands at once so mm -hmm. I can automate stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and this was like a great experience that the computer is not just for typing commands manually. Mm -hmm. And once again, this was DOS, so it was terminal only. Mm -hmm. uh, you, could, you could run Windows as one of the programs on the DOS system. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that was a qu quite, a, quite an uh, enlightening idea that you can put several commands and then they are executed in a, in a blink of an eye. Uh, and that's how I discovered that, yeah, the computer actually can do something more than just what, what I asked it for. Uh, I was truly amazed how is it possible that computers can do so much with, like, so little hardware. Uh, so that I quickly realized how you can combine, how you can create larger programs from, from, smaller, uh, from smaller pieces, uh, like scripts and then, and then programming. Cool. And, and by the way, uh, you also know about the config sys, right? Uh, yeah, it is. So there was config sys. There was like uh, exactly. So yeah, there were actually two two standards of executables. There was X files and com files. And exactly. It's <laughs> really amazing that com file was just a raw assembly. There was no header. There was no uh, 
there, there was no metadata. Mm -hmm. It was just row assembly from the first to last byte, mm -hmm. uh, and that was that was pretty cool. It it, it would never be possible these days, uh, but yeah, that's that's how it went. I was actually programming assembly as well for some time. Wow, uh, but, uh, uh, but like, uh, after after the uh, your batch experience, what was the next programming language to mention Turbo Pascal? So you started right away with yeah Turbo, Turbo Pascal, mm -hmm. and uh, it it sounds kind of funny, but I was so extremely happy when I discovered when I kind of uh, figured out how to sort an array. Uh, I spent like numerous hours trying to figure out how do I uh, how do I have an array sorted. So I was like tackling or uh, tinkering with different uh, different algorithms. And, and you properly end, bubble sort, right? You found... And in the end, I came up with bubble sort. Yeah. I was so happy, like, I discovered this great algorithm, which didn't work for more than 1,000 elements or maybe 100 elements on, on that machine. Uh, but still, and I was kind of kind of, uh, kind of sad, like, how, how, how come is it so slow? It works on my own. It, well, I can say it works on my machine. It works on my piece of paper. Uh, but then I had to go to the university to actually discover what's the big O notation and why bubble sort is so bad. Uh, but still, for for a child that was like 15 by that time, or I don't know, 17, uh, that was that was that was something really cool. And I didn't have any materials, and I didn't. Have Wait a second. Any so what are you saying? Yep. So after the school, you went home and just you know for enjoyment or you know uh, for just for fun, you invented uh, sorting algorithms, or what is the background? Because it sounds for me, you know, like, uh, like again, prodigy child. So, <laughs> well, uh, I was doing some. I was trying to develop something uh, like a, a a file browser using Turbo Pascal. Mm -hmm. uh, so, like going through the files, entering directories, and uh, like just looking what what are the contents of the file system. Mm -hmm. And it actually quite cool. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm I'm really sad I don't have the source code. <clears throat> but I really, I, I badly needed a way to sort files. So uh, that's how I, I, I invented bubble sort, just because I needed it. Uh, okay. Not like I, I, okay. sat, I sat there with a piece of paper and I thought to myself, okay, let's invent a sorting algorithm. This is what I thought. So like, this would be strange, but I understand the story, you know, with the file browser. And and why you, why you wanted to build a file browser? I'm asking because about your motivation, you know, you saw a movie or how you got into programming. <laughs> I, I honestly don't remember. I think it was just like uh, a, a useful tool that you can build using Turbo Pascal. Okay. Uh, my God, I was like 14 or 15 back then. That, yeah, still. Sounds really strange. But anyway, now, uh, nowadays so, I don't, don't, I don't think that the kids go home and, and implement a uh, file browser. You know, so is I mean, um, there should be something interesting. So why you liked computers that much? This could be interesting. Yeah, you know, it was it was DOS operating system. So all you had was dear. As for uh, oh, okay. so, files and okay. CDs, so okay. and I think I, I maybe I wasn't aware of the tools like uh, Norton Commander or something. Mm -hmm. uh, so I thought to myself, okay, I'm gonna do it this way. And yeah, I just I just uh, I just had this feeling that I remember I also discovered recursion because what I needed was searching file searching directories recursively, so trying to find a file in subdirectories mm -hmm. and. It somehow struck me that I can run the same procedure because I think in Pascal it is called procedures. I can run procedure from itself in order to browse directories. So that was even the bigger aha moment uh, than, than discovering bubble sort. So uh, quite quite a few things occurred to me without kind of prior knowledge and without having any books or, or internet access because I didn't have internet back then. Yeah. Uh, so these are these were really amazing times. And, uh, so so the file browser was your hello world. 
Yeah, sort of. So of course, cool. I started with Hello World. It wasn't Haskell. I'm, I have this. Uh, I have this joke that when I was reading a Haskell book many, many, many years later, uh, Hello World is actually in chapter five because first you have to learn what is a monad and uh, how yeah. do you actually interact with input output, which has side effects. So mm -hmm. Hello World is actually a very complex problem in Haskell. Uh, but when it comes so, to uh, Haskell, so I mean the yeah. Haskell the the Haskell book has six chapters, right? And the fifth one was Hello World. <laughs> No, not really, but it's like one uh, one third of the book you actually start with uh, with Hello World because previously you learn all the data structures, you yeah. learn how to like and, do map filter and and, and so people on. still complaining that Java is too complicated, but you know uh, in, <laughs> in Java you got Hello World on on the first page, I guess. Yeah, that's true. Just kidding. That's true. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> I'll go back to your topic in just a second, but the problem with Java is that you have to type so many foreign yeah. words in the beginning, like it's public, static, void, main, system, out, print line, and probably just print line is familiar to people in in sort of. Uh, but nevertheless, Java is much. Yeah, but this is not. I mean, I heard this, but I also learned programming and I learned Java and I learned C plus plus. And for me, between C plus plus and Java was almost no difference. And in C++, I just memorized, you know, I was, okay, it has to be main, so I memorized main and never never asked why, and later I understood why, but it's not like it took me no days to think about Hello World. You spend 10 minutes thinking about this and, and problem solved, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean... Uh... It's not like it's a big deal, and people are doing, oh, you cannot learn Java because you have typed so many words. I'm like, okay, how, I mean, you will have to type something. And uh, and if you start with JavaScript, let's say in browser, you will also have to t type at least you know script source and and point to the to the source file. Otherwise, nothing happens. So it's not like you always need some bootstrap, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are languages that are optimized for Hello Worlds, where you just type one line. <laughs> Visual Basic. <laughs> That's actually yeah, yeah, true. Uh, I never actually programmed in Visual Basic, by the way. I, I a little bit, but I was completely confused. Yeah. So uh, like for programmers, it's the same experience I had with Flash. I don't know whether you know Flash. And in Flash, I cons was uh, it constantly... Yeah, I did. I was... Yeah, I was constantly searched for the source code, and this was only possible to write some co source code in the keyframes. And Visual Basic was like, you know, black magic. So how everything sticks together for me was like, uh, I don't know. But... um. Back to you. So, uh, Turbo Pascal, what was what was your you know, the 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 one application you are most proud of in Turbo Pascal you wrote, except DeFi browser? Was something else? I don't remember much more about it, but I do okay. remember that. Then uh, do the next language. What was I the was, next language? Uh, the next language was C plus plus, and it was uh, a bit later. I think it was somewhere in between high school and university. I wasn't actually very good at programming when I uh, when I entered university. Uh, for example, I didn't know Java at all. Mm -hmm. uh, but somewhere between high school and university, I was um, I was porting uh, a game. Uh, I don't remember the, the name of it, but basically it was three-dimensional Tetris. So wow. rather than having, uh, I guess you can imagine it. So rather yeah. than having a uh, rather than having 2D blocks, you had 3D blocks, and rather than collecting lines, you were collecting full surfaces. Mm -hmm. So 2D surfaces had to be uh, had to be placed. A nice I idea, actually. actually. Found source code, and I... excuse me. It's actually, a nice idea. So I tried to you know to visualize in my head, right? But this is this is could be yeah, actually yeah, an interesting uh, game. I think that uh, I was porting a game that I knew from my childhood. It was called Breakout. Yes, uh, and I ported it to. Oh, you actually remember the the name? Yeah, I think so I Breakout or or Arkanoid. They were the same, right? This was like uh, there was uh, there was a wall, and and there was a ball, and it hit the wall, right, or something like this. 
Yeah, so in terms of breakout, you basically saw a, a three-dimensional kind of a, kind of a, a space, and you were trying to arrange blocks, and you, can, you, you could rotate them in three dimensions. Okay. So the controls, were, mm -hmm. uh, the controls were quite confusing. I actually found the source code. I put it on my GitHub, but I never really managed to build it. So maybe someone listening to it can, can build it and see how, whether it still works. But it's really ancient. I think it's like 10 or 15 years old mm -hmm. uh, by now. Uh, so that was pretty big. I, I spent like a whole vacation, like three months straight, every single day doing um, programming it, uh, including like... Uh, uh, and, well, we would call it artificial intelligence these days. So basically, cool. the game could play its the game could play itself. Yeah, amazing. Uh, so, 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 was, so, so you found you know so you discovered uh, AI per accident as well, right? <laughs> yeah. Do yeah. um, one question: how, how much time do you spend during the vacations? Was it a full day? So like you know, I don't know, five hours or ten hours hacking straight? That was totally crazy. I, I think I, I wasn't going anywhere during the vacation and it was full like uh, June, July, August or something or July, August, September, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it was the whole day straight. So I was waking up, having breakfast and then just doing programming. Uh, if I recall correctly, it, uh, uh, there were never such, a, such an intense time during my programming career that I would just wake up and do some programming for the whole day straight. It was very unhealthy. Uh, but I managed to actually deliver the game. I mean, I, I wasn't trying to publish it, but uh, in the end, uh, I managed to like publish a fully working game, and quite a few people played it. Cool. So yeah, kind of success. Nice. Yeah, but uh, healthy. This is very healthy because you know, in July to August, is the 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 sun is uh, too aggressive, so uh, it's very bad for the skin. So you did your best, you know, to 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 to, to remain healthy, <laughs> right? That's that's what I told to my parents actually. Yeah, perfect. So um uh very good. So this is amazing. So how old were you? 16, 17? Uh the time I, I I developed this game, I think it was around around 19 because this, wow. this, that, that actually required like uh quite a bit of math and uh, because you know it was OpenGL so you had to do some wow. transformations okay. and rotating cameras and so on. Yeah, matrix transformations. Uh, so I actually, I think if the study started, so I had to do do the matrix transformations and multiplications in my first year yes. of uh, computer science. So you were you were uh, the genius with that, I guess, right? Oh, that, 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 I wouldn't say genius. Uh, all, all this stuff I had to rediscover, or uh, I don't know, just figure out myself. But it was it was really painful. I believe these days I would develop this game like ten times shorter. Uh, but still, it was it was uh, it was a great experience. Yeah, especially the AI part that I mentioned that the bricks kind of knew what is the best place to put themselves, and that took me a while. Uh, you did a, a neural uh, networks, or how you did it? Um, as far as I remember, so funny thing is that I didn't know about threads by that time, so I had just one thread. And the single thread was both responsible both for uh, drawing and for like doing all these computations. So, so now you now you re rediscovered Node.js, right? So it's one thread. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> the next yeah, invention sorry. you did. <laughs> okay. I was actually doing uh, these days we would call it uh, voluntarily preemption of a thread, or I don't know, or just mm -hmm. yielding. So basically, my computation was tracking time, and if it took more than ten milliseconds or fifty milliseconds, I don't remember, mm -hmm. it was uh, giving up allowing the system to draw next frame and then trying to continue the computation later on. 
So yeah, if we're if we're continuing with this joke, I, you you could say I discovered uh, coroutines as well. Very good. Uh, but how did it work uh, when a new random piece was showing up on the screen? It was basically trying to fit itself in every single position using every uh, uh, every possible rotations. So it was basically a brute force uh, brute force solution. It was backtracing, for, I guess, right? So it just tried to uh, went back and tried to rest. Uh, I would call it backtracing, not the backtracing algorithm. Yeah, sure. Was it something like backtracing? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, it was uh, it was a flat spa flat solution space because you have like a fixed number of places yeah, where you okay. can put your mm -hmm. block and fixed number of rotations. I think eight different positions are possible. And then I applied some scoring algorithm, like uh, how deep the block would go, would it not cover some empty spaces? Oh, okay. And uh, having the score, I would just choose the best one. Cool. And uh, yeah, the the the. the the hardest problem was to sh split time between uh, doing these computations and actually drawing the frame. Uh, so what I what I mentioned earlier. Very good. So and this was in C plus plus and you were nineteen. So was it uh, right before your study? Yes, I believe so. So and uh, what what you studied then? Uh, I was studying computer science in in Warsaw University of Technology. Mm -hmm. uh, ah, I think I was invited once. I was there. So I was in the Warsaw okay. Java user group. And we went after the show, Java User Group, to a uh, uh, to a pub or restaurant, and it is called like the uh, Polish figures for kids. Wait a second, there was exactly the... it's uh, Bolek or Lolek. Yeah, exactly. So we went there <laughs> and we discussed, yeah. you know, what's uh, the place. Yeah, what's uh, uh, what's new with Java, and there was uh, there was um, I showed you know some 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 Java e services, and there were like huge amount of people. So we discussed, you know. What's new? How they can participate? And uh, I remember the university was amazing because there are lots of you know um, Google ads uh, come to uh, to work with us. So Google did some investment, what appeared to me. So, um, but it was like I think five years ago or something or six even. Yeah, there are actually two universities in Warsaw. There's mm -hmm. a university, the University of Warsaw, and Warsaw University of Technology, okay. uh, which is called. Uh, uh, I don't know if there's a German word like polytechnic or something like that. Uh, uh, nevertheless, mm -hmm. uh, nevertheless, uh, they are both actually pretty pretty good in terms of like the education. So I was I was really happy I managed to get there. And yeah, that's where I learned Java. That was my first encounter with Java, believe it or not. And you like that? Uh, uh, yes, sort of. I was a more like a C plus plus guy to the point that. Uh, at some point in time, I was I was given an opportunity to have uh, an internship in C or Java, mm -hmm. and I wasn't really sure which one to choose because okay. like uh, both of these languages were uh, were kind of easy to grasp for me, and uh, I chose Java, which was uh, uh, which kind of determined my whole future career basically. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So uh, with with. Which Java version you started? Uh, let me think. The oldest Java I worked with was 1.1. Wow. And I believe I started with 1.4. It was just yeah. uh, 1.5 was just about to was just about to kick off. So it was 2005, uh, with, 2004, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, I started study. Uh, yeah, yeah, could be like that. I started studying later on, but uh, you know that new, new versions of Java don't come up uh, yeah. so, so early, especially to the universities. So I think uh, work I've done in at the university was uh, 1.4 or 5.0 or whatever mm -hmm. the version scheme is right now. Uh, so it was generics, and uh, the, the 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 world looked brighter. 
uh, it wasn't it wasn't that that hard at the moment, but still, it was AWT most of the time. It wasn't okay. swing. And uh, you enjoyed your uh, your study at the university, or you it was waste yeah, of time. Absolutely, there are there, there are so many discussions these days. Should you be studying uh, mm-hmm. information technology or just learning from the internet or from some courses for a few months is uh, is enough? Mm-hmm. I don't have a particular opinion. However, I did enjoy my studies, and I do believe I learned a ton of useful stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, I know exactly how the computer works uh, from from the bottom, uh, and from the bottom I mean what is uh, electric electricity, what is resistance, uh, what is a transistor, uh, how do uh, arithmetic uh, arithmetic logic units uh, (ALU) work. Uh, what is the CPU comprised of? Uh, uh-huh. How the caches work, and so on and so forth. So I knew every, uh, I know how every single layer works, at least superficially. Cool. Uh, how networking works, uh, how logic gates work, and and so on and so forth. So uh, it was a it was a great foundation. Uh, I can't say that learning calculus or derivatives or so much of linear algebra uh, helped me in my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe matrix multiplication, but I was already past that. <laughs> okay. Uh, but still, I believe it was a it was a great learning experience. And as I already mentioned, my master's thesis I was about uh, compilers. So I built a compiler for the toy language logo, and uh, I, I, I thoroughly believed that it was time well spent. Yeah. A uh, question about Java. So, what was your first application? Do you a, mo- a little bit more comp? complex or you know evolved application you've wrote you're proud of oh god let me think i uh it wasn't definitely not my first not my second and maybe not even the fifth application but i do remember i wrote a chat application a, a desktop chat uh, application that was mm-hmm. using rmi mm-hmm. uh, remote method invocation yes uh to communicate and it actually worked quite well i believe i uh, i believe people at the university were quite amazed that it works so so easily so RMI was uh, was the technology of the time. Yeah, it was actually uh, very easy to program, right? So it was nothing to do with yeah, yeah, There's one liner and you, you could just uh, access an interface. Yeah, so uh, you could claim that remote procedure call is not uh, the best way to communicate with the systems, but it was insanely simple. So yeah. uh, you just had an interface and that interface did all the network communication. So that was, uh, that was a big application that they did in, in Java. Uh, what else? I don't remember much more. Yeah, I don't really remember much more in Java. There wasn't any spectacular systems, but this one, the, the, yeah. this one okay. uh, actually taught me quite a lot. And I also remember there were these times when uh, I was working for a company that uh, really wanted people to, it was during university, I was working in a company that really wanted people to like uh, learn and have certificates. Uh, by the time it was sun certificates. Yeah. So I have quite a few of them. I don't even mention them on my CV anymore because they are, well, more or less worthless at uh, at the moment. So it was Sun certified Java programmer, web component developer, business component developer. So basically, basics of Java, XML, and EJB. Uh, so these three are uh, pretty much worthless these days. But there was one of them. Uh, it was Sun certified Java developer, not a programmer, but Java developer. And you have the developer app, was... right? 
for that. You actually had to develop an app and people from Sun were doing a review and that was actually a good learning experience. That was the moment when, for example, I realized that simple date format is not threat safe, mm -hmm. uh, which is a which is a thing that many people don't realize even today. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was uh, that was a really worthy uh, worthy certificate and worthy exam. And uh, the reason I'm mentioning it is that well, they they asked you to create uh, an application, and it wasn't a naive application. It was basically a client server. I believe it was a database, so a simple database with a uh, with a client code and a server part. And the server was supposed to be accessible both remotely and as an embedded uh, embedded system. So. Uh, it took me quite a while to develop this application, but it was a it was a good experience. I don't know yeah. if the certificate exists anymore, but uh, if it is, it's 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 money well spent. Yeah, but uh, the hardest was the Java programmer. I don't know in your time, but uh, I st I did it at the very beginning, and there was like multiple choice uh, questions, but you never knew how many answers are the right answers. So uh, oh. and, and they were really, uh, this was really hard. So I actually failed the very first time. Because and then I was say it's impossible. So I, 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 I was actually, if I did the course, I, I I could program Java actually fairly well, and but it was really hard. So for instance, I remember one question. You know, switch statement where default comes first. And I never saw something in my source code. I would never write such a code. Oh God! Or, something like this, or uh, I would. I also remember. And, and 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 let me guess. One of the answers is it doesn't compile, and you have no it doesn't idea matter. It, it doesn't matter. The, the answer is it doesn't matter. You can write default first and cases later. doesn't matter. But I didn't knew this, okay. for instance, this. And, and the other one was, I remember, like, you have the arrays, a two-dimensional two array, and there were the, you know, the square brackets, and they were an, all over the place. And the question is, which compiles? <laughs> and I say, no one writes such a code, so I had no idea. So yeah. I, and I reviewed, you know, my, my um, just afterwards, and I, and, I, and I missed these pieces. But what, did, um, what happened, I, I learned that much for the programmer back then, that I knew Java exactly well because of that. So I, I knew all the corner cases, so then I passed the exam. And the problem was because so many students failed, they uh, make it easier to pass later. But the first one was brutal. So for me, it was like a challenge. I would, I would really like you know, to do the course. And yeah, the developer was fun. I, I, was, um, I, I did actually everything because back then as a freelancer, I, I teach these courses as a preparation. So um, and then I I did the exams uh, just for fun. So I, I also have all the certificates, but uh, I never had to apply anywhere. So no 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 one saw them. <laughs> but but it's, uh, they look nice, you know, with the uh, sun colors and yeah. I had the architect from 1999. It was the uh, the so the, I most of the certificates I did was before 2000. Oh wow! Yeah. Cool. Uh, so now about your uh, Java. So um, experience. So you did the, all the certificates during the study. Have you worked for a company during your study, or uh, or was it uh, you just studied? Uh, I was. I started working for a, a company between the second and third year during mm -hmm. my uh, during my university. So quite early. Uh, it's also a funny story. I, I was given this task by uh, one of the uh, during one of the the, the, the exams. Oh, sorry, not exams, but uh, it was a. Uh, it was a task that was supposed to take me like a half year or something. It it was uh, algorithms, data structures, and the exam and the task was to implement uh, finding the longest palindrome. If you don't know what palindrome is, it's basically a string that reads the same backwards and mm -hmm. forwards. Mm -hmm. uh, like like EH cache. Something. EH cache. Uh, ah, yeah, really, yeah. 
so uh, the task was to find the largest palindrome in a in a real world text. So, for example, War and Peace by Tolstoy or something. Mm-hmm. And did he did he put some palindromes in there just by sheer coincidence? And this is actually a, a non-trivial task if you want to do it in a non-square, like a on square or on cube time. Uh, so this task was supposed to take me like a couple of months to do some research and implement some really complex data structure. Uh, but it turned out that if you look carefully and if you like calculate all the statistics and you, if you do the math, it turns out that the most naive algorithm works just okay with uh, uh, human texts. So by human, I mean text written by people, not some just random, uh, not some random input. Mm-hmm. So for random input, my algorithm was n square, but for uh, but for normal texts, my algorithm worked just fine with uh, a linear complexity. And it turned out that my uh, that my final project was three lines of code, and I'm serious about it. it was three lines of code, and ten lines of math that was explaining why these three lines of code are actually behaving properly. And uh, the, the the guy who was uh, the, the the guy who was uh, looking at my my solution, uh, he was like quite amazed and quite shocked about it. Uh, to the point that he he said that you know what my father has a company and it was a real estate company and I, they they need a, a an IT system so would you like to work for him and that was my first company basically and it was in Java it was C plus plus in Java nice and uh, you worked directly for the company or you become a freelancer uh, I believe I was a freelancer it was more more mostly working from home or working from yeah. dormitory or whatever I lived there. Uh, it was definitely part-time, but I learned quite a lot about Java back then. For example, it was my first encounter with Spring. It was my first encounter with network programming, with databases. So uh, that was a, a really large, uh, large amount of uh, experience I got there. Cool. So uh, which commercial projects you did uh, during university or afterwards? So what was your path with Java? After the university, when actually um, you, uh, where your university commitment ended? So was it in two thousand five, six, something like this? Uh, you're asking when did I f- when did I graduated? When you, fi- when you finished, actually, yeah, your university. So I actually had to go to my LinkedIn page because I don't remember. No, roughly. Uh, I think it was. <laughs> uh, let me see. So I was like uh, uh, the the the. the the further I was at my university, the more I was doing some some actual work. Uh, but I graduated in two thousand and nine. Yeah, I just checked it. Okay. So that was that's when I ended. Uh, but back then I was like uh, doing almost full time work at software houses and uh, some freelance work. So cool. uh, it was kind of smooth. It wasn't like I'm graduating and now I'm starting my my, my real work. Mm-hmm. Uh, the transition was smoother. So what you did after university? You still kept freelancing? Or? Uh, let me think. No, I was working for a software house, and the software house was making software for a large telecom in Poland. There were three large telecoms in, in the whole country, so that was a big thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was also working for a company that was doing some reporting software, some really complex reporting software. I was I was doing an internship back then. Uh, but the software house was... Uh, I worked there for like three years, I believe, okay. uh, starting somewhere in the middle of, uh, of university. Uh, the software house was was a great experience as well. I, I learned a ton, and they had 
legacy systems, new systems written in uh, EJB 2.0, written in uh, Spring, written in all these really weird uh, technologies. I remember there was, uh, that's a funny story. Uh, we used to have so many systems and they were written in uh, such a non-structured way, I would say, with no uh, organization, no, uh, no agile back then. And that we had some systems where we simply didn't have source code anymore. It was just on someone's laptop and this person wasn't working anymore. And we lost source code for one of our systems. So what do you do back then? Well, someone found a uh, an older copy of the source code mm-hmm. on his computer. And he wasn't sure whether the, 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 the old copy of the source code is actually recent. So whether it has all the changes. So what they did is that he compiled the source code into a jar, mm-hmm. then he decompiled it back to the source code, mm-hmm. which was of course uh, completely different uh, from the source code, pers- source code perspective. Mm-hmm. But he also took the jar file and he decompiled it as well using mm-hmm. the same tool. Mm-hmm. And if you decompile two jar files into uh, into source code using the same tool with the same version of, of the tool, it was JAD, Java Decompiler, yeah, exactly. GAD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you decompile two jar files uh, using uh, using the same tools, even if they are slightly different, they should produce more or less the same source code, mm-hmm. uh, even if the jar files were compiled using different Java or so on. Mm-hmm. And after all this process, he figured that, yeah, indeed, he has the correct source code, the original source code, because after compiling and decompiling uh, the source code and after decompiling the, the jar file that we had on production, uh, we came up with the same decompiled version. So th- th- this is the extent you had to go to. You had to go through to actually uh, to actually manage the chaos that that was going on there. But so we, we, we do we do uh, we did similar practices by uh, caused by different problems. So and some of my clients had uh, projects with lots of external dependencies, and they didn't maintain the dependencies, and some of the dependencies died, and there was a bug, and yes. we had to fix the bug. But there was no. The framework just died. There was. Uh, there was. Um, in one case, we found uh, Apache Attic. That it was at the attic, but uh, it was actually nowhere okay. available. Not even in um, internet archives. Nowhere. So we had to decompile the jar, then uh, fix the bug and recompile the jar. And uh, this was then our source code. So this was a very similar story with different di- different causes. Yeah. So I think if I think about it today, when we have continuous delivery, continuous deployments. Uh, all the software craftsmanship movements, it, it was like, <laughs> I'm really shocked what we did back then. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, uh, it worked and it brought money. So yeah. uh, that, that's how the business worked back then. I wouldn't, I would never like uh, try to do it again. But it, it was a necessity. So what, what can you do? So, um, and so you work for different companies and why you started to talk at conferences. Also, you mentioned briefly that you also attended the InfoShare conference. When is your first talk? Uh, it was actually a Warsaw Java user group, so the one that you attended mm-hmm. as well. So uh, the one that you spoke to there as well. I, I, I honestly don't know. Uh, maybe I'm kind of an introvert, so I wanted to, to circumvent uh, okay. <laughs> uh, that and just trying to like stand in front of the people. Interesting. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I have a talent for that, but uh, somehow people like to listen to me and uh, they, they kind of like... Uh, uh, understand it in a way, but I didn't know it back then. Uh, I, I honestly don't remember. I think I had a topic, and I thought to myself, "Okay, let's share it with the other people." And that's how it started. When I when I when I was looking at, I have this tiny little table where I collect all my talks, and it approaches seventy or eighty. 
uh, different talks throughout all these years. But my first one was 10 years ago. In, oh, in, in so, so you speak that much? This in, I didn't knew that. So, um, yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, so what was your first talk you remember, actually? Uh, I do remember it. I, I can Google it up quickly, but I do remember no, it. But wh it was about... Yeah, what, about what exactly? Uh, my, my very, very, very first talk was actually internal. It happened at my company where I work for, the, mm -hmm. the one that I already uh, described. And it was about Aspect J, okay. which, was, which is not really a, a simple topic. Uh, no, I actually got. I actually needed join to use cuts, aspect. point cuts, and uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, uh, you know what? I actually had to use aspects uh, like last week okay. for the first time since many many years. And I actually went back to the slides I created for this very first talk, mm -hmm. and they were still relevant, which tells a lot about the technology that it's mm -hmm. so stable. Uh, nevertheless, uh, it also tells a lot how how uh, how useful it is if I if I go back to it every three or four years. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not using Aspect that much these days. So that was my first talk. But my first public talk was about largely forgotten database called Project Voldemort. Ah, from Facebook. This was the NoSQL. Yeah. Uh, no, no uh, I don't think, uh, Facebook or Netflix or one of these, one of these big companies. Um, I think it was written by Ben Christensen, who later wrote RxJava, which mm -hmm. is a pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was basically an open source implementation of key value, uh, key value store from Amazon. Uh, so I did a talk about it. At, why you did it? Um, so you had to use the database or why you did, why you talked about that? Uh, no, and I was actually fairly open about it. I'd never used it in production, uh, even earlier or later on, which is pretty sad, uh, pretty sad state of conference talks uh, in general. Uh, I just found this project and I was playing with it uh, for, for quite some time to discover like all the nooks and crannies uh, that it has, all the advantages and disadvantages. Uh, so I thought, okay, it's a cool project. Let me let me share it with uh, let me share uh, my my very limited experience. Okay. with other people. Uh, the truth is, and for what I already mentioned, the truth is that I never worked with it, either earlier or later on. Uh, and uh, from from the time perspective, it's not a good idea to have a talk about something that you have absolutely no experience with. Yeah, this uh, is what I'm asking. So how, how, you, how you get into the Voldemort? Because what I am usually doing, I'm just talking about what I'm doing in projects so they don't have to prepare a lot. And this works. But if I will talk you know, about something... Let's say now Turbo Pascal, so I could do this, but I have to learn Turbo Pascal first, and they have no, you know, no no stakes in it, so I have no project experience. I have to remember what I did twenty years ago, so this um, this would be a different story. Yeah, the problem is that I think it was around two thousand and ten, and in order to surface uh, at a large conference, you had to do a talk about something you know sexy. So ah. this was the new thing, and it was something that not many people knew about. Okay. So I thought, okay, it's it's an interesting database, and I'm going to uh, share my very, very limited experience about it. But why uh, you did it? You wanted to find another job, or what? I mean, you, you worked already no, for no, a company. No, ab ab absolutely no. And um, I don't think I ever did anything publicly to find another job, even though, for example, I uh, I used to be extremely, extremely uh, active on Stack Overflow. And even today, even though I'm not uh, logging there for like five years straight, 
I'm still among the top users because cool. I have so many answers there. But still, uh, how how good really were you it. at Stack Overflow? Were you top what? Uh, let me quickly check. I think I'm like top zero point zero two percent of of people. So it's like top wow. thousand, okay. top ten thousand, something like that. Okay. Uh, my reputation was approaching three hundred thousand. So if you if you're like uh, uh, if you if you, if you, uh, if you know what Stack Overflow is, you know that it's quite a lot. I know what uh, Stack Overflow still... is, but I have no idea whether three hundred k is good or bad. So what... oh, okay. So the best people have like one million, but okay. uh, it's still extremely extremely a lot. Okay. Uh, but nevertheless, I never did it because I wanted to find the job or I wanted to impress someone. It was just like a hobby. Uh, okay. Same with the same with conferences. So, it, uh, long story short, I believe it's just like a cool thing for me. I, I really enjoy talking to people and I enjoy pre- pre- preparing for the talk. And uh, you know what they say: if you want to really understand something, try to explain it to someone. This is true. Uh, this is very true. You're absolutely right. Yeah. This is sometimes I misuse stuff, you know, <laughs> to become better in yeah. something in it. Yeah. Um, very good. So, uh, so basically, after uh, your university, you 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 worked for various software houses with uh, various applied various hacks and made your clients happy, and uh, and you stick with the company until now, or what's what's your sto- story after no, the there university? Was the, the, there was a ton of companies in between. So there was a software house, mm-hmm. and there was a really tiny startup in Norway. I used to live in Norway for three years. Wow. Was, uh, okay. Great, was also Java startup. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a Java startup. Uh, Doing some cryptography and doing some some, uh, uh, I, 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 they were actually doing some really really cool stuff. They were uh, trying to uh, circumvent counterfeits uh, in medicine. So it turns out that a lot of medicines, especially in uh, Asia, Africa, uh, and such places, a lot of uh, a lot of medicines are counterfeited. So you can find. Uh, non-genuine medicines that are basically uh, like 10 times cheaper to produce do mm-hmm. not have the same effects, but mm-hmm. they are sold even in pharmacies. Uh, so what this what this Norwegian startup was doing, and I, I believe they are still doing, uh, they were trying to prevent it by doing by by printing some uh, unique codes on each and every blister or each and every box of uh, medicine. Okay. And that was kind of a large volume uh, of data. And uh, once again, it was a place where I learned a lot. It was uh, back then; it was a really small startup. I was one of the three developers, cool. so I was, uh, I was, I was. Uh, how how did you find them? So, so I mean, you 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 lived in in Warsaw. How to find you know a startup in Norway? So, what was the story behind? Uh, when I joined them, I was a third developer, so they had two developers. One was a CTO, and the second one was also Polish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh-huh. there's one one Norwegian guy and one Polish guy who uh, who started working there working there by sheer coincidence, and they were looking for a third developer. And I think the Polish guy suggested that they should post uh, an advertisement in uh, some Polish government sites that's used for looking uh, that that's used for looking for uh, employed people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, uh, uh, a government government agent uh, agenda. And I found an announcement there. So this is the last place where you would look for a job, especially when you're a programmer in Poland. But that was <laughs> a total coincidence as well. And I think they contacted me a year after I sent a CV, so I totally forgot about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, it became one of my best programming experiences cool. and also my best life experiences because living in Norway is, is totally different than living in Warsaw or anywhere else in Europe. So you enjoyed your time. 
Yeah, absolutely. I learned to ski, for example, every single week I was going for skiing for a whole day. Cool. Was uh, absolutely amazing. Alpa- alpine skiing or, you know, uh, cross country? Downhill, downhill skiing. Downhill, okay. okay. Um, cool. So, um, so you were in Norway and, and then you did various works on different various companies and what are you doing right now uh now i'm working at uh, an e-commerce platform called allegro which mm-hmm. is really really big in poland uh, is this just in poland it, or is it international uh, it's just in poland so okay. it's not a very well-known brand internationally it's tried to enter different markets but it turned out that uh, poland is kind of enough for us uh, at the moment mm-hmm. uh, but i believe it's the second largest e-commerce in europe Cool. And uh, it actually serves a lot of traffic. We're what is the about. first in Europe? Uh, Amazon, I guess. Ah, in Europe. Okay. Amazon is okay. Yeah, in Europe. Yeah, yeah okay. But Amazon is not uh, European. I mean, um, it, according to to the revenue, I guess, right? What do you, what do you, because uh, Amazon is not a European company. Uh, regarding revenue or uh, profits, uh, we could be first, but I'm, 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 <laughs> Uh, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not an economist. No, no, no. So I just was curious. What is the so, first, yeah. you know, European e-commerce company? Because I thought um, Amazon is not European, but uh, that's true. We could be the largest, but uh, don't, don't. Okay, so you you, you are one of the largest. Let's say that. Okay, so mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. And I saw um, the Allegro everywhere at Polish conferences. This is why I'm asking, what is it actually? Because I didn't knew what what Allegro actually does. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, once again, what was the question? Uh, no question. Just uh, I saw the Allegro all over the place in Poland, and um, and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, we're, in in uh, we're doing various a lot conferences. Of yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So now I know what they, what 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 Allegro is doing. Okay, very good. Yeah. So, so now you're working with for Allegro, and what are you doing there? Uh, I'm a software developer, so I'm still doing software basically. Uh, I somehow managed not to go the management ladder. Very good. Uh, so far. Uh, is it so hard to, doing... to, to is it is it hard to keep coding or is it re- really tempted you know to be <laughs> the PowerPoint fighter? Uh, at this point in time, it's just my personal choice. So I was like, uh, I, I told very briefly and I told very clearly that I don't want to go this path. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll see what future brings. But yeah. uh, for the moment, I'm really happy with what, with what I do. And yeah, we're basically uh, basically doing software development. Or, uh, Allegro used to be a, mo- a single monolith company with uh, a large PHP monolith in uh, center. Uh, it's not like that anymore. Uh, a few years ago, uh, people decided that they want to transform to. Uh, yeah, what do you think? What's the next big architecture? Uh, they chose like five years ago. Uh, f- five years ago, so I guess it was uh, Microlith and Monorepo, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> microservices, I yeah. think. <laughs> yeah, obviously microservices, we went like full microservices. So uh, at the moment, the last time I checked, there were like 800 microservices on production. And contrary to many companies that are doing microservices, uh, they actually make sense. Uh, oh. to the, this will be the that, next I question. Mean, I cannot imagine that 800 could make sense, but if you're saying, I believe you. So, <laughs> Yeah, the thing is that uh, also around five years ago, we invited Eric Evans, the, the creator of DDD, uh, mm-hmm. to, to, to our company for, for a few days, and he split our domain into subdomains or bounded contexts, mm-hmm. bounded contexts. And uh, that's how we managed to kind of keep the chaos uh, leashed uh, to, to some extent. So we have so many services, but still it's not, it's not a total chaos. So it's not like every service talks to another service and you have absolutely no idea what's going on. 
uh, services are maintained by different One question. teams. And, how, yep. how, how Eric Evans is able to split your domain to subdomains? Because um, what I'm usually saying, so people ask me also about microservices and I can help, but the problem is I'm not an expert in e-commerce. I'm not an expert in, in, in anything uh, which involves business because I never spend you know too much time on a single company. And to to split the uh, one monolith into into microservices as well, you really need to know deep knowledge how the application operates and um, and how the team operate. So um, what probably Eric did, it asked lots of questions and and you know and picked the business experts from Allegro, who helped him. Right? Otherwise, it 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 is actually impossible for someone outside to split a monolith into subdomains. At least. Is my opinion. Well, I guess there are f- few reasons. So first of all, he spent like a week there with us. So okay. uh, he had quite some time to uh, to realize what's going on. And secondly, it's an e-commerce. So it's not some okay. uh, completely exotic uh, business. It's it's a system that sells stuff from uh, from different uh, from different uh, different uh, different deliverables. So you have payments, you have search, you have... Uh, uh listing you have showing items you have frauds and so on and so forth so it's uh, superficially it's actually a fairly standard system so that's that's how we started and i believe these are actually one one of the few bounded contacts we have like the, the large ones okay uh, so it's not such a big well it was uh, an extremely large effort uh, but it's not something not doable within a reasonable okay. amount of time and now so it's java or contact, still php uh, now it's definitely Java. It's more and more Kotlin these days, but it's uh, it's JVM uh, okay. most of the time. Uh, so there are tons of uh, tons of services and uh, seems to work well. I, I haven't got lost uh, during my career at Allegro uh, with like what, what this service is doing, why is it calling this one, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are deploying Service Mesh uh, these days to actually have better observability. So. Uh, it seems to be quite mature at the moment, and we we don't regret this. Part. Which one is you? We did some mistakes. But, uh, it's Envoy, as far as I know. Envoy, okay. Uh, so uh, we are quite happy with the architecture we have so far. Of course, of course, it has some issues, but uh, from from the developer experience and from uh, um, from things that we managed to learn, uh, it actually works quite well. And even though it's an extremely large distributed system, uh, we don't have some ex- some really big outages. So we learned quite a lot about timeout, circuit breakers, asynchronous processing, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And what's your role? Are you architect or developer? Uh, just a developer. So I'm a senior senior developer. Senior or developer. It's okay. called these days. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And uh, what's what's interesting right now is um, so I I, I uh, posted a correction of a slide for EclipseCon conference because I had s- several typos. And uh, what I've wrote is like uh, you are not Netflix, and uh, and your opinion or your feedback was you had uh, almost exactly the same slide uh, at conferences. But what's interesting is in your case, uh, this slide doesn't hold. So w- what most of my project are not that massive than yours. Most of my project are, I would say, we don't have you know such requirements for scalability or transactions per second. So rather boring, and people still st- still try to apply you know rocket science to simple to simple problems but in your case i would say 
uh, this is uh, my slide, like you are not Netflix. You are almost like not Netflix, but at least almost like an Amazon, right? So, so, so I mean, it makes abs- absolute sense for micro-optimize your architecture. This is what, what was my sl- slide about. And uh, in my projects, we focus more on developer experience, simplicity, and, and maintainability, even if uh, you know we have some we get some cpu or memory hit yeah the, the, the my slide that you're mentioning was from uh, a talk i gave about reactive programming and mm-hmm. it was a, a grumpy talk i was uh, um, uh, most of the time i was i was claiming that you don't really need reactive programming in your project because you are not netflix i even called it a netflix point it's the it's the point where uh, your scale is so big that uh, you probably need reactive programming, but most of the time you're not uh, you're not passing that point. You don't have such volumes. You don't have so many requests per second. So I'm really happy, and it's probably the first time in my career that I actually kind of crossed the Netflix point. So I do need reactive programming. I do need these architecture optimizations. I do need asynchronous processing, but most of the time. Uh, this investment is simply not worth it. So uh, by investment, I mean you have to learn these techniques, you have to understand these tools that are uh, so foreign, so exotic, and there's no payoff because your system doesn't that doesn't serve tens of thousands of requests per second. So you won't see the benefits of, for example, reactive programming or whatever you were mentioning in, in your talk. Uh, you won't see these benefits, but you will pay the price of maintenance and you will pay the price of really hard to debug and hard to uh, understand system. So uh, that was basically my point. Do not try to use all these new shiny tools if you don't have to, because you're going the, uh, the microservices path or you're going the reactive path, not because you want to, but because you have to. And it's the necessity, not the uh, not the uh, uh, should be the re- necessity should be the reason, not the fact that you want to try new tools. Yeah, uh, I'm absolutely with will... you. This is amazing. This is exactly what I am saying. So just you know, write the simplest possible code, and and you are set. So there is no reason you know to to uh, try to imitate uh, Netflix, Allegro, or Amazon or whoever, because uh, your business is usually not as big as they are. And most of the companies try to hire new developers, so they talk about shiny frameworks, you know, to get uh, new fresh blood as developer. And uh, this is the why they are doing this. It's not like they try, try to help, you know, businesses uh, with new patterns. Yeah, actually, uh, before our talk, uh, I realized that I was reading your book like ten years ago, or maybe less, whatever. And uh, you were, uh, it was rethinking. Best practices. Help me with the title. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so in this talk, you uh, in this book you had a chapter about making a, a system for counting statistics for mm-hmm. entering your website, so mm-hmm. basically counting page hits. Mm-hmm. And for each page hit, you did a separate service that you were calling using RESTful API. Mm-hmm. And back then, I thought to myself, "Wow, this this is not optimal." I mean, uh, uh, counting pa- when you're entering a page, uh, you're probably doing it so many times per second. How how uh, how on earth is it going to be scalable? This is just nonsense. And after so many years, I realized that this was actually a good idea because for your particular problem at hand, uh, it's perfectly sufficient. And RESTful API is not that bad in that case, and it's so extremely simple. 
though it was so many years ago and I realized that, yep, it, as long as you're not Netflix, this is probably the right tool for the so job. The funny story is the, uh, the service is running for 10 years and th four years, <laughs> four, four weeks ago, I just uh, rewrote it with Quarkus just for fun. This was uh, in half a day. And now it runs as well as before. It's no difference except it consumes half of memory and starts in one second or something. Uh, so, but uh, it is what what you read in the book is still in production on my blog. It still counts statistics, <laughs> and uh, it, it got even simpler and simpler. So it's interesting. So now uh, another, the deal. You uh, are sorry. So another another funny story is that you wrote it to Quarkus, so it consumes half a memory and starts in one second. Do you really care? Uh, no, uh, yeah, I don't. Exactly. I don't care. But uh, I just wanted to do this because it was my own project, and uh, in other pro in um, some clients ask me now about the numbers, and I cannot just reveal numbers for my clients because of NDAs. So if I have a service, you know, this is my service, so I now have the numbers. And if someone asks me, so I can give them the numbers. So I don't care. But um, yeah, it was nice to watch that it starts fast. But uh, the problem is my whole server is that fast that I can reboot everything in ten seconds. So it really doesn't matter at all what I'm doing there. But uh, yeah, oh. I had, you know, five hours time, and this was like your sorting uh, involvement. I just want, why not mm -hmm. rewrite today, you know, my service to Quarkus? Just go with it, and I did it, and it works. Worked, and it works. Yeah, but that's that's mm -hmm. the point. You played with it, and it was yeah. a great experience. Yeah, just played, and, experience. Uh, and we use Quarkus in other projects where uh, where it comes with benefits. So um, it is, was not like no waste of time. It was somehow I was involved with Quarkus a little bit. Yeah. Now, uh, we have one hour. So here's the deal. Uh, we have no time to, to, to speak about the interesting parts. It's been too long. So we will st stop here. But <laughs> I would reinvite you and, uh, um, and talk uh, exclusively, if you like, you know, about reactive programming, uh, yes or no, and all the stuff you like. With uh, And uh, we can also talk about Quarkus or whatever you like. Is it a deal? Yeah, absolutely. It was a great time. So we, um, I will reinvite you probably January or February or whenever. So and uh, try to do without the introduction and just talk exclusively <laughs> about the interesting topics. So where people can find you and um, you know, blog, Twitter, LinkedIn, or whatever you like. Uh, yeah. So uh, if you're Polish, it's going to be simpler. My my last name is Nurkiewicz. So Nurkiewicz.com, and that's where I publish articles rather infrequently. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as well. It's uh, T, as in Tomasz, uh, T Nurkiewicz mm -hmm. uh, as well. And I'm, I'm, I'm publishing some stuff there as well. And you can find me on some conferences. I believe I'll be at, I'll be at J Focus in February. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, looking forward to seeing you Which, what, what topic? Uh, that's another interesting part. I'm, I'm talking about Unicode. And I'm talking, so basically the, uh, cool. the very fundamental talk, but uh, I want to uh, tell people how, how hard it is, even mm -hmm. though they, all the people think that Unicode is simple. And the re remaining, uh, remaining uh, topic, um, you know ACS, ACS logo? Uh, no, no, what is it? It is an open source or open source free, at least, implementation of uh, of logo on, on Apple. Oh, okay. And yeah, the cool story is I play with it, just as was accident. I didn't want it to interrupt you with the logo stuff, but um, I play with it. <laughs> and you have nice integration with the operating system. So you can, you know, speak and do more than just go back and forth and, oh. and, and rotate. It's called SES logo, uh, and I printed, you know, the whole documentation just for fun because I wanted to look on it. And ACS uh, uh, or ACS, what is uh, something? I will put it to the show notes. But you have I'll, to look um, Apple, Mac, and ACS logo, and it comes and it works right away. It just comes with night editor, nice editor, and you can do a lot more 
than just you know what we what we did back then. You get nice operating system integration as well. Oh, fantastic! I just became a father, so it's uh, something I would definitely use too. Yeah, if you if you just became a father, you will probably have to know two, uh, two weeks <laughs> or months. <laughs> with, but uh, yeah, still some time. Yeah, yeah, perfect. So I will re- I would really like to reinvite you again and, and talk about you know deeper about the uh, microservices challenges because this also is what I'm doing and uh, let's see what happens. Yeah, fantastic. Looking forward to it. So thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.